Uh, every user group has their own uh, portal. Every team can build a front-end screen by, uh, by basically relying on tooling that is built by the Swap community. So they can choose which tech stack they want to use to actually create uh, such a screen. But we also want to make it look consistent. So that's why we also have like a design system. Uh, it's called Pike. They don't want to think like, oh, this looks different. This is different. Oh, I'm in a different area now. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Ball.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you. Peeking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at Ball.com, the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. The hosts of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers. Yeah, welcome back to the Tech Lab podcast. Uh, great to have you again with us. Uh, yeah, in our search for uh, topics, we uh, came across the, the topic more of, of front-end and we saw that front-end still was uh, yeah, a topic that we didn't uh, pay that uh, much attention to. Where it's very important because it really connects uh, users to uh, to the systems that we uh, work on. To be honest, so yeah, here we go. Peter, what do you have in store for everyone? <laughs> yeah. So indeed, after several podcasts about uh, culture, uh, introverts, we talked about in the last episode, and we talked about the book. It's now time to talk again a bit more uh, technical and and the way we use tech into uh, our environment. You already said okay, it's about front end, but yeah, let, let's make that clear uh, up front. Uh, everybody knows ball.com in terms of the web shop. Uh, you can go on uh, to the web shop uh, and, and see, uh, you can you can shop for goods um, also uh, on your app. But today that's not about that part of front-end work. Today we're going to talk about front-end work in what we call our portals. And I think it's time to introduce the guests, uh, Peter Paul. We have four of them, so uh, good yeah, so uh, that, set of so guests. That, these are front-ends that, that people have to actually work with instead of just shop things. So, so different yeah. perspective. And we've got a lot of uh, experts on this uh, today on the, on the episode. If uh, Jake de Oude, who is a front-end software uh, engineer uh, with us. If uh, Robin Aldehoven, also a software engineer, uh, working in logistics with a lot of the front-end applications there, also to our partners. Uh, we have Robin Savat, who is a product tech lead. Uh, and we have uh, Rens Jansen, who is a visual designer. And you said that you have a new title, design systems designer. Wow, that sparks a lot of uh, ideas and pictures. Uh, so, uh, yeah, interesting to, uh, uh, <laughs> to see uh, where all your ideas uh, lead to and how you uh, uh, will be in the, in the episode as well. Yeah, so... Um, in the poll.com uh, landscape, looking at, at front-end, we use a lot of things that we call uh, swaps. So uh, these are, yeah, what are they? Who, who you can best explain uh, what, what, a, what a swap is to our uh, listeners? I, I can take a, uh, I can try that. So uh, I think the abbreviation says it all. It, it means small web, small web application. So maybe that's not the, the answer you were looking for. What it basically means in more detail is it is a front-end microservice that allows teams to autonomously build front-end without being uh, dependent on other teams for that. Exactly, and I think that uh, being independent of other teams is, is, is key here, especially when we move to the swaps. Uh, I think that was years back, five, six years ago, what would it be, Alvin? 
Yeah, it was uh, it was about uh, six years ago. It was my first project at Bolt to actually uh, help. Um, yeah, basically cutting big front ends up into smaller microservices. So that's uh, it's been a while indeed. Okay. Uh, so, so then one of the problems that that introduction of the swap uh, solved was that that the previous front end uh, technologies that we had were uh, more codependent. So we had to deploy them all at once and things like this. And this can be rolled out easier autonomously without uh, working, yeah, more together, right? Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Peter Paul, maybe before we dive really into into the techniques oh. already, maybe maybe it's good to 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 discuss a bit more, more in broad. Eh? The, the, we talked about eh, in the introduction, we said, okay, it's about portals, but maybe it's good to to share a couple of examples why why we talk about portals and how they are used in, in Bol.com and also outside Bol.com. So maybe a, a functional angle first and then uh, go into the technical uh, details. So who wants to uh, to elaborate a bit on the, the, the portal setup in Bol.com? I can say a couple of things about my MySpace at least. So within logistics, we obviously serve a lot of people. It can range from like uh, our partners who actually ship an item to a, uh, to a customer, but it also goes uh, into the warehouse where people actually need to pack your uh, item and see on the screen which item that, that basically is, um, and go as far as actually uh, steering our capacity management. So. We, uh, we receive 100,000 orders, for example, and the warehouse can only manage uh, 80,000. Then we need to be able to steer them. And all that happens through different uh, front-end applications. Um, and each one is a different portal in this case. I feel like our biggest portal uh, page-wise is, is the STD, as we call it. Uh, basically, the seller domain something, so, maybe. Seller <laughs> dashboard, I think it stands for. Yeah. 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 Um, and we have a couple of them. Um, we do rely on uh, the swap technology to actually serve them, but that's going into technology again. So we are yeah, actually uh, with different portals for different uh, user groups. And so uh, outside Bol.com, sellers, suppliers, uh, inside Bol.com, specific user groups. So uh, yeah, and you can go into affiliate marketing and all that stuff. Uh, every uh, uh, every user group has their own uh, portal. Yeah, then uh, when that's already uh, a bit more clear yeah then uh, let's talk about uh, the the architect uh, the, sorry the architecture uh, behind it but the different uh, portals who can who can dive into that subject well i could give a little bit of information on the the back end side of things i think that's the less interesting side for this discussion perhaps but just to give some of my two cents is that uh, it's basically it, Every team can build a front-end screen by uh, by basically relying on tooling that is built by the swap community uh, in the backend. And in the backend, we try to make it as easy as possible to to do this, so that uh, the feature teams can actually focus mostly on building front-end uh, and not so much um, getting their uh, their their screen deployed in the cloud and authentication authentication and authorization. All those kind of things we try to. Um, to do that centrally uh, by just uh, supplying that for teams. Okay, I can go tell a bit more about the front-end uh, stuff then. So we already talked a bit about autonomously between each team. So a portal basically, in our case, consists of multiple screens, and uh, each screen is maintained by a, a single team or 
might be two, but usually uh, a small number of teams. And the team has to autonomous, well, is autonomous, so they can choose which tech stack they want to use to actually create uh, such a screen. So one team might use Angular, the other one Re React, or just vanilla JavaScript. But we also want to make it look consistent. So that's why we also have like a design system. Uh, it's called Pike. Well, Pike is actually the component library of the design system. And we need to make like a component uh, library that is consistent through each one of those frameworks. Uh, and technology-wise, we choose for web components to actually deliver those. Robin, for the outside world, what is uh, what does Pike mean? Uh, Pike is, yeah, it is just a Dutch word, Pike. It looks nice. It um, looks nice, yeah. So it's yeah. not an abbreviation, it's just Pike. It's, uh, yep, it's just yeah. Pike. Yeah. Well, it, it is an abbreviation for all UI kit, but it also needs to look nice. <laughs> yeah, and that actually creates some uh, some question marks for our uh, uh, non-Dutch speakers because they, they read it and they say like, yeah, Puke. Uh, what is this? And, yeah. Uh, not so nice. So in retrospect, not the greatest of names, but uh, it works, and it's uh, yeah, it's now firmly ingrained. But I think it's very important. What Robin mentions is that we have so many different teams, and there are so many different flows within a single portal. But our users, uh, so for example, a retailer, somebody who tries to sell something through bold.com, he goes to that portal uh, or, or she goes to that portal and they don't want to think like, oh, this looks different. This is different. Oh, I'm in a different area now. Everything looks needs to look the same and uh, they, they don't want to have the idea that I'm, I'm doing different things in different parts. Uh, and that is a big challenge because, yeah, we have 10, 20, 30 different teams that have in total more than 50 swaps, I think. I don't know. Um, and so that's there's a, a huge tension between uh, autonomy of the teams uh, and, and making it uh, yeah, uniform, right? Well, not even uniform, just consistent. Consi uh, okay, yeah. There's been a lot of research done over the years, uh, not necessarily in bold.com. Uh, every, uh, every UXer will, will be able to tell you this, is that if you know what your... Uh, okay, there's a button and you press that button, you know what's going to happen. Oh, there's a drop-down. I know how to interact with the drop-down. And if I click here, then something happens and I know in advance what will happen. And that creates confidence. And that is conscious and subconscious, and but that makes it fun or easier to use your uh, your front end. What you're saying is uh, everybody knows uh, that uh, the the save button is 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 there because of this uh, small disk uh, which is uh, which was put in there in in the past. But even my kids don't know what it what it stands for, but they know it's a save button. Uh, so that that's what you mean with consistent uh, that you know what to uh, to expect from a spe specific thing. Exactly. And uh -huh. for example, a model, uh, a small pop-up model, uh, if it's there. Um, well, you need to be able to close it. You don't want to spend even a fraction of a second thinking, how do I close this? No, you know that because it's always at the top right, there's a cross icon. You click on it and it goes away, done. That is so annoying if you're on websites with which which a pop-up thing that it's, that it's not there or, or hidden or something. <laughs> yeah, true. 
so to ensure this this consistency that's where when this uh, group that came together right to 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 come up with ideas to uh, to ensure this can you take us with us with with this uh, uh, with this story how that how that started and and where we are now maybe Rens uh, I can or, or Robin yeah fine. Well, I can give a short introduction and I think Rens can take it over to how the design system came to be so I also started like five years ago on this topic. Back then, we, we I think we had five or six teams actually working in the same portal. And we own, well, we had a shared library where we shared our components just to make life easier. But we noticed that when, well, a team needed a certain feature, they would update the library and that would actually break somebody else's code. Um, so that's why we got stuck on like versioning in components and multiple libraries. And that wasn't, an ideal situation uh, and that's why we started actually with coming up with a design system and i feel like rens can talk more about why we needed the design system and what it actually solves yeah um I, I can talk a little bit on like how i found the design system when i started out over a year ago because like one of the reasons i, I was asked to to help with the team was mainly uh, because uh, Boldacom already had a rebranding in the past. Uh, the web shop already reflected that, but the portal didn't. The portal looked maybe a little bit like the old style, or it was basically a thing on its own. So one of the uh, things or one of the challenges were to make sure that that branding we all know and love from Boldacom came to be inside the portal. So. There were uh, a few challenges there because webshop already had a, a bunch of components they already had their visual style but their style is more to make sure that um, customers get tempted to buy something it's mostly conversion driven buttons can be a bit a bit more fleshy they can be a bit more yeah a bit more yeah they can be, be a bit bigger for example um, you have like additional uh, visuals to make sure that the yeah the, the user knows what to do so what what's different for portals is that it's really the the partner has to do a lot of different stuff um, they have to make sure that uh, the prices are okay they have to make sure that uh, the stocks are up to date so they need to focus they don't need all the colors and all the distractions they need to know like okay this is what I do and I need to get there as fast as possible. So a few of those considerations um, I made in the in the process were to make sure that the buttons were a bit smaller so that they would all align perfectly, for example, with an input. That also made sure that like the whole consistency uh, looked a bit better. Next to that, when I started out, there was no like public library for designers. So there was a lot in the code department, but designers, didn't have a component that they could use and design with. So in the past, there were lots of explorations. There was a lot of room for improvement, but the designers didn't speak the language of the developers. Some of the components they made were not available in Pug. So what do you do then? The main thing I did was build up a, a Figma library. So Figma is, is the program we use to design web pages, flows, anything really and to make sure that you have a library in Pauk, it's it's one source of truth so basically everybody who works in uh, figma uh, already has the um, 
a library enabled and they can basically grab the component they need. So they have a button, the button has different properties, can be a primary button, a secondary, can have an icon, etc. And to make sure that the designer knows what component it is, we're also referring to the storybook uh, documentation, which is the uh, yeah what uh, Yak and Team Unicorn are doing. So basically, what the design system is doing, it's it's laying the foundation to make sure that oh, all the components I'm using are actually being built. We're also working with different statuses. So for example, if the design is already there, but it hasn't been built yet in code, we can set a status indicating that it's in progress or that it's an experimental component, for example. But always we refer to documentation. So the um, developer who's going to build this swap based on the design from the UXer actually knows that it's a component and they can use it. So they don't have to build their own stuff. Robin, you, you wanted to add something to that? Yeah, I, th I think I do. Um, because it also sounds to become really boring then to do front-end stuff because everything is thought out uh, <laughs> at the beginning. But um, we actually, so when we started, that was also one of the comments we got. Like, can we then still innovate? And our thought process was like, okay, you don't need to spend as much time on a button or an input field, which actually uh, gives you more time to create a better user flow or uh, make nicer interactions on the parts that ha haven't been thought out yet. Well, I, I feel that uh, that part is actually working. So now I can actually spend more time on stuff that I do want to develop instead of the, the boring stuff that has already been developed 20 times over. Yeah, because that's where the real innovation is, right? On on the, on, on that items. And you don't want to uh, be burned by, burned by, the, by the items you yeah, already yeah. did in the past. Or, yeah. You don't want to be stuck on how do I do a header or how do I do a model. Yeah. That that part is now all laid out. And if you don't know it, you can actually search in the documentation, read up on it, and use it as uh, as a designer or as a developer. It should be easy to actually incorporate into your uh, application. From UX perspective, we had the exact same uh, problem, if you will. Like, oh, where's the creativity now? How can I really add to this product? But uh, like Robin said, it actually gives you more freedom because you know like all the essentials are already there. But we also challenge designers to come up with uh, new components if they find out that Pauk doesn't support the idea that they want. So we came up with this system we call a sandbox, which basically allows designers to come up with their ideas. Um, we have a few questions we ask them. We make sure that they have all the necessary uh, requirements to make sure that um, um, development also knows like how this component works. And based on that, we made a, a team and we can decide together with UX, um, with uh, visual design and with development, whether we really see that this is a component that Pauk needs. So we have a few states. One of them is Snowflake and we call it the Snowflake because it's unique. It makes sure like, okay, some swaps can come up with their own custom components. But we want to make sure that we have it somewhere documented. So when in the future we find out uh, a new use case for this component, we might say, okay, maybe we should add, add it to Pauk and we don't have to reinvent the wheel all over again. Um, another symptom or another, um, uh, yeah, it, it could become a um, snowflake, but it also could become a, a Pauk component. And usually we have a, a different library, which is called Pauk Experimental or Pauk X for short. And that's where we 
basically do the trial run, like both for design and for development and work out all the, yeah, the kinks. How do you come up with, with what should be a component that can be reusable or not? Who decides? So normally it, it was when you have like, uh, when you have multiple use cases. So are we going to display this component on five pages? That's basically how we started. Okay, then we're going to build the component. And I feel, feel where Rens might miss it right now because we already have like a really large set of components. I think we're nearing 60 or something. So most cases have been developed already. Uh, and when you get, when you now reach when it's going to be a new component, mostly not of it. Yeah, it's probably earlier in uh, Snowflake territory. Uh, and we're, we're figuring it out. Uh, if enough teams actually want it, we probably build it. But well, it's, it's still an ongoing process. Yeah, and there, I think that's one of the the biggest sources of tension right now. Well, tension is a big word, but we as creators of Pyke, we want to make sure that it's easy to use and that it covers most cases. But we don't want to cover every case or add really weird uh, one upon the time um, features that just create confusion for 99% uh, of the developers that are going to use it. So that is a very delicate balance. Yeah, and I want to, want to add to that, like most developers are actually backend developers who are using our components. So even though they have the freedom to build their own component, they may, might not have the skills. And that's why it's coming back to Pike, even with the snowflakes. But yeah, that's also why I'm in, uh, I'm in like a loose rule uh, role. Uh, I can just come in and help them build their own component for the, for the time being so that they're not uh, being stuck on it. Hey, maybe to double check, hey, uh, so Rens explained about the design systems. We make use of uh, Figma, uh, Storybook. Um, is that the complete set we use or do we miss uh, stuff in that uh, list? Yeah, we're uh, currently experimenting with uh, documentation from uh, the UX side. So we are uh, currently doing a trial run with uh, zero height and with uh, Frontify. We're basically finding out what is the tool that uh, supports what we need. So the idea of a design system that it's always in flux, it's always changing. And some documentation sites or um, make it a bit hard to make sure that everything is up to date. So basically we're uh, giving a trial run, see like how easy it is to integrate a component into a Frontify or zero height. And based on that, we're gonna make a decision um, because where Storybook really focuses on the code, we don't want to clutter Storybook with design principles. Um, that's not useful for developers. And at the same time, the code is not very useful for UX designers. So we really want to have a separate space for that. But we also want to make sure that um, the UXer who refers to this documentation knows that there is a Storybook component. And so we want to link, uh, we want to have everything linked. and. That really gives gives us a focus to work on standards or like templates or uh, patterns to make sure like, okay, why are we using uh, buttons in this way? And why is it supposed to have 48 pixels in between? So we can really educate UX designers, which in result also make sure that um, pages get more consistent. And I think uh, Jaak can also add a bit about how the design system has been built or how they are building it currently. Um, you mean with the with the eye on consistency again and uh, the the ink no, the, grid? The actual technical tools that that we use for testing oh, and building. Yeah. Yes, 
uh, well, you set it up mostly, Ruben. So, um, no, but we're using Stencil.js, which is a, a framework um, that helps us create web components. Uh, and though that basically means that every tech stack can use it. So uh, our PAU components, they are web components. And that means that whether you're in Angular or in Vue or in plain JavaScript, uh, you can still use those. That is what Stencil.js uh, gives us. Uh, we code a lot uh, and then we press a button and well, 20 minutes later, there's a new release uh, ready to go. Yeah, and also with with the Stencil setup, you also get testing and stuff. And one thing we are where I have really been focusing on with, with the Pike library is that the inputs are really consistent. So when Renz was talking about going to a different style, uh, most teams only needed to update the library and not do a lot of migration work, simply because our components are completely locked off and you only need to change the properties of, of a component. I can also uh, elaborate a bit further on that um, to talk about design tokens. Um, this is a relatively new term. Um, it's still being um, like documented as an actual standard as we speak. But the idea is that most brands ha already have a bunch of principles. So uh, colors, for example, or a font size or icons even. And instead of building that up, all over again all the time you can basically define that within uh, a company so for example the web shop already did a lot of work on design tokens they defined colors based on the new branding they are also going to define textiles and the idea is that basically these are already design decisions so designers know that uh, these colors exist but developers also know it so it's basically bridging the gap it's tokenizing a design decision and in the future we're even thinking about using uh, those definitions uh, from webshop and working from one single source which uh, in the long term can also mean that the webshop design and the, the portal design uh, grow closer together even if if the purpose is is different and the, and the, the the user group has a different uh need for the, the 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 look and feel uh you can still make use of that same set of design tokens that that's the the the, the dot on the horizon so to say yeah exactly wow. yeah and you you can pick and choose and that's the beauty of it so basically we make it as broad as possible but you can set your own definitions for your own product but at least when uh, at some point bull might have rebranding in another 10 years we don't have to reinvent the wheel again we just change the tokens and everything will be changed throughout all the products that's quite a step uh, and that's a great promise uh, as well yeah it's the future <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, robin Zafat, uh, 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 you you shared in the beginning you were here from the beginning um uh, if you if you look at this this story and uh, what what it brought us what is for you the the biggest uh, benefit if you look at it um, well, if we are looking at these uh, front-end components and uh, uh, the Pyke library on itself, I think that most importantly, we uh, we give a way to have teams be as autonomous as they want to be. Uh, as, as was mentioned, uh, it, it works with any technology. Uh, so you can use React, Angular, whatever you want, and you can still use it. 
and we are um, basically pushing that uh, into our portals but also into our in internal tooling and it is just a way where with minimal effort even if you don't have a lot of front-end experience you can put down that house the home brand like you can put down the ball.com brand and i think that is a really powerful thing so uh yeah that that's that's for me definitely the main uh, benefit yeah. yeah and for you uh, Jake, the, somebody said uh, well it might be uh, getting uh, boring for a front-end uh, engineer uh, what's your experience well as creator of the pike component library it's certainly not boring um it's actually getting more and more um yeah more to the point there we say yes this this is something that we have and we can make it even better um so yeah not, not boring at all and i think um if we look at how pauk is being used how many different people are using it how many more requests we get um yeah it's 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 growing all the time and that's super rewarding to work on Yeah, the, the same applies to me. Um, I'm, I'm working in close collaboration with Ayak uh, and Team Unicorn. And we there's always room for improvement. So we find out that some things are not structured um, in the way we think it should be. Or we find out that um, the foundation is missing a bunch of uh, components that are actually making everybody's job a lot easier. So for me, it's it's also still exciting to uh, keep working on new ideas. Yeah. Hey, you said uh, working together with Team Unicorn. Uh, from people outside Bottle.com, they might not know Team Unicorn. Uh, <laughs> team, team Unicorn is is the development team that works on Pauk. On Pauk, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think we got uh, already some great insights, Peter Paul, uh, from uh, from this story so far. Yeah. So what? Uh, so uh, because <clears throat> what what also was just mentioned is that. Basically, we uh, more and more teams want to use uh, the bug components, eh? uh, but uh, um, I can imagine that that you also also have to do something to uh, convince them or tell them that it's there or tell them that it's really easy to use. Because I can imagine that uh, that uh, especially since you mentioned that uh, backend engineers uh, are doing are doing frontend work with this work on this. And that get typically also people who have been working in other environments where when they hear something about a component library a design system that they feel like, oh man, then they have to comply to all these rules and their brain starts uh, fuming and uh, all things that go on error. So, so, so you really have to come up with a way to, to, to show them how easy it is to use or build a community or, some, or something like that. And I see Robin reacting, so I think he, he has an idea about it. Uh, well, I, I have been talking to a lot of backend developers recently um, with this news, basically inviting everyone that, like, you know, there is a component library and uh, check it out. And the response that I most often get is, does that mean that I do not have to write any CSS? And that for them is all the reason to actually use it because a lot of the styling and, and, and all the CSS is embedded in those components. And without having to touch an, a line of CSS almost, um, but by following the documentation, it's really easy what you have to set up. Just by doing that, they get all the styling for free and they, they basically don't have to worry about it. And that uh, actually they get very excited about that. So, Okay. 
And I also heard from 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 some other tools who uh, use something like a cookie cutter to to set up uh, front end apps really uh, easy. Is that also something that that's in the pipe thingy, or is that some some other thingy? Am I misinformed yeah, here? More more something that I am working on, uh, and what I basically do is I create a way for teams to generate a new screen. Um, where everything that we recommend to use from our perspective is included. And that includes Puik, but it also includes uh, like either Angular or React, but it also uh, includes the whole uh, cloud setup, the, the GitLab pipelines required to build and, uh, and deploy the, the uh, screen. So it's like one, uh, one cookie cutter template uh, that brings everything together and makes it as easy as possible to get started uh, building frontend. Exactly, and with all the benefits that we've been discussing before, exactly. using the bug and the and the design system we were talking about. Awesome. Yeah, regarding spreading the knowledge, actually, we 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 really wanted to learn everyone how those bug components work. So we always had a community to actually talk about stuff front end related. And well, over COVID, that really changed from. Uh, party where we only talk about Pike to an actual group of people who are really interested in uh, creating these portals. Uh, Jaak and I are part of it, but Jaak started it, so maybe he can tell a bit more about that one. Yeah, so the what we used to call um, the, the, the portal squad um, has now been renamed recently into the, uh, the swap community, and that is a, a much better name because we're, we're not just um, yeah, we're, we're working with all the teams that are creating swaps uh, and that can be in portals, uh, but it can also be outside of portals. And the idea there is that we're all doing more or less high over, we're doing more or less the same job. We're creating portals, we're creating front ends, uh, small front ends, but still front ends. And that is fundamentally different from um, having a backend service under your care or five backend services and they all need to talk to each other. No, we're, we're more focused on the front end. So that with that comes different needs and different ideas and different knowledge base. Um, so we've been, uh, over the last year, we've been, uh, yeah, fire starting that community, so to speak. And it's been, been going pretty well. We've been trying to do uh, a kind of meetup, virtual mostly, of course. Uh, every month, every two months, uh, we're now going to start with experimenting with uh, revitalizing a newsletter uh, that Robin Seifert initially created. So yeah, there, there's a lot of good stuff happening there as well. Hey, I think and the, the, the portal squad uh, from the past and now the swap community and what we are doing all in there, I think it's, it's uh, uh, really a, a great subject in itself. So, uh, so maybe it's a good idea to to plan an, an, a next episode on it because then we can really dive into it. And maybe, uh, I, I'm, maybe I know for sure that people outside will will uh, learn from that. So, can I invite you for for a next episode on on specifically at the swap community talk about uh, how you set it up, what you're doing in that to uh, to to bind people, etc. For sure. Cool. Yeah, that is that is a next follow-up session uh, we can uh, spend uh, time on. Hey, yeah, talking about time, Peter Paul, do we have questions left before we go to the closing round? No, I think it's good to go to the closing round. So, uh, yeah, uh, gentlemen, what's your 
most important takeaway uh, for the listeners that you really want them to remind. Hey, process-wise, do you uh, name the people to, to react first? Oh, should do that. Uh, I didn't want to put them on the spot because I learned that on the introvert uh, one. But uh, then uh, let's do it uh, by alphabet. Oh, then we have uh, two Robins. Oh, no. So I'm just going to appoint uh, some people. I'll start with Robin Sabat then. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we put on the spot. I like it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I uh, would say if you want uh, true autonomy in your front-end development uh, in general, so not just that ball, I think it is really important to spend time on setting good fundamentals, both front-end and back-end-wise. Today we discussed the front-end part mostly, but uh, that is really going to pay off in the long term once you have several teams working on it. So that's it for me. Okay. For you, Jake? Yeah, um, I've been dreading this question because it's really hard to to, to pinpoint one thing. Um, I like the fact that I've been reminded once again that building these components, for me, it's really good fun to do that. But it's also, you're, you know, we're creating a service in a way that a lot of developers, especially backend developers, they're not necessarily interested in the nitty gritty of this. Um, and they just want to have a button and it needs to do what it needs to do. And by Taking care of that, uh, we free up their time and headspace uh, to focus on on the on the good stuff, so to speak, on the on the real innovation. Okay. And for you, Rens? Yeah, for, for me, I mean, uh, design is always in motion, and my idea is to to set it up in this way. We make it easier to iterate, so we can make sure that once the um, uh, once the changes occur, we make it as easy as possible for them to occur. So, yeah, that's that's all I want to do uh, with the design system. Awesome. Thanks. Have you been all over? Um, I really love uh, that these fundamentals are there now. Uh, I dreaded when I started that they that they didn't exist, and we need to uh, spend a lot of time on actually building stuff, uh, which I thought was really boring. Well, it reminded me like, okay, these things are actually happening now. The fundamentals are there. And uh, well, if, if I look at my current projects, it really gives me a lot of space to actually build really cool stuff. Maybe we go into that one in a, in a later, later time. Cool. Yeah, yeah. again, Peter I'm not sure how it is for you, but this is again a story that, that um, yeah, this is one of the reasons to, to, to do this podcast, right? To, to, to get this information uh, from uh, from people in Bol.com, uh, sharing this story, how, how things work. Because if you're not in this area, then uh, you, you wouldn't know. So it's it's really cool to hear this and uh, to learn from you. Uh, thanks for, for sharing. And hopefully we, uh, we can plan a follow-up session soon to talk about the community and how that works. So uh, thanks for your time and uh, yeah, sharing with us. Yeah, thanks for sharing your knowledge and insights with us. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked the episode, check some of the others. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for TechLab and subscribe. Leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or mail techlab at ball.com. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun.